occasion today of your presence. And Father, I pray that that would be something we cultivate here as we become more in another, that we feel comfortable with being at a raw place and that we could just open up ourselves before you, God, when we worship here on Sundays. God, we also know that worship is a practice that we need to have during the week, not just with music, but in life, where we bow our lives low to you, God. And now today, there are people who have been challenged through the song to trust you more. And God, we pray that as we sing those songs, that those songs would not just be melodies that we hum, but they would be things that resonate in our heart deeply and that start to change us as we meditate deeper on them because we're longing to be changed today. Lord, today, would you, as we open up your word, as we hear what you have to say, God, pray that we're available to you. Our hearts, our minds, our soul, our strength, make that available to you. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen. Yeah, so we're in this series called Follow. The reason why we're in this series called Follow is because we are describing what does it look like to have a life completely committed unto God. And you might have heard different things or you might have seen different things, but we want to describe what does it look like to follow God. And last week we talked about followers, fish, that Jesus, the minute he met some of his disciples, he said, if you follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. What we said, basically, that was taking all of your life and leveraging it for the glory of God. That even the bad things that you go through and the good things that you go through, all those things will be leveraged for God's glory. What we also said was right now, where you're at, wherever you're at, if you're a new believer or if you're just beginning to believe uh, in terms of like you've been, you've been in church a while but you're just beginning to understand things or, man, you're... You're an old believer, right? You've been around for a while. You've been following Christ for a while. All of us need to be reminded we are perfectly positioned right now to fish for men, to be an influencer for God's grace and his glory. So that means that you ain't got to wait for seminary. You don't even have to wait to be a member. You don't have to wait to be baptized. You don't have to wait to go on a mission trip. None of those things are qualifiers for you to be used by God. You, today, right now, are available to God. And what, he, uh, what we talked about last week was this. If you would be crazy enough to pray the prayer, God, use me, he'll honor that prayer. If you would just be open for God to do whatever he wants with you, he'll honor that because it is not your skill, it's your willingness. It's your, it's your hunger and desire to be used by him. And so, um, so I was on the plane last week. Uh, I had a challenging week last week. Many of you know a buddy of mine passed away, 32 years old. And uh, so it was a challenging week, and I, I, was, I was getting on the plane because I wanted to look over my message one more time. And so I get on the plane, and uh, a woman sits next to me, and she was talking to me a little bit, and I really didn't want to talk because I wanted to focus on my message. So I begin to, you know, just, you know, focus and think, and, and uh, she, she sat right next to me, and then she moved over, and then, you know, she started to talk to me again. And I said, well, you know, I'm... <laughs> Let me just pray this prayer I'm telling people to pray. You know, God, would you, maybe, maybe, maybe God is opening up a door right now. So let me just jiggle it to see if this door is going to open. So I look over to her and I said, um, where are you from? And she said, I'm from London. And she began to tell me about the job she works. And she began to tell me about all these incredible things she does around the world. And then she looked at me and she says, what do you do? And I say, here it comes. This conversation is about to get awkward. I'm a pastor. She goes, really? Oh, yeah, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor church in Brooklyn. 
said, how did you become a pastor? I told her, I came to faith when I was in college. I was a preacher's kid, but I walked away from the Lord, and I felt like Christians were really religious, and I, I didn't like being around them. And then all of a sudden, I found myself leading a Bible study, and I found myself in seminary, and all of a sudden, I ended up becoming a pastor, and it's crazy. This is what she says. She says, I'm in a program right now that teaches you to have a higher power. And I've been praying to that higher power for the last three years. She says, but I don't know who the higher power is. Would you describe to me who you think God is? I'm sitting there with my sermon like, okay, we ain't going to get this done. So, look, grace, Jesus, faith, sin. And we, for the next hour and a half, talked about the Lord. And God had set my life up, not because I was, I didn't even want to tell her I was a pastor, but because God had a circumstance that she was in, and me, he put me there to talk to her, and he's put you somewhere to not just talk, maybe you're not a talker, maybe it's serving, but God has saved you to use you. So, you know, there's this point that we come to, though, when we're talking about our faith and we're talking about being used by God, well, we have to be honest with ourselves, right? Does it always happen like that? I mean, is there always a home run where the person is just like, hey, would you describe Jesus Christ for me? I don't know who he is. Does that always happen? No. Now, we know the reality is, is that something could have went wrong. Things could have gone bad. I mean, the minute I said I was a pastor, more times than not, people automatically think I'm homophobic. But I hate, I hate people who, who are homosexual. They think I hate them automatically. Or they think I'm super political where I want to start getting them into the Republican or Democratic Party. Or, you know, they start looking at my life and, and maybe I'll back away because I don't want to come across like a hypocrite because I'm not perfect all the time. But sometimes, myself, that could have happened there, but sometimes even you feel. Maybe we could have just sat there and flew and sometimes the people in your life, when you tell them you're a Christian or describe your life with God, you could lose a friend. Things could go bad. Things in that situation could have went very bad. And you know what I love about Jesus? Jesus, we said last week, Jesus, he makes his agenda clear from, for us up front. He says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. But one of the things that Jesus does is that he does not hide the full picture of the Christian life. He puts in full detail and full display that sometimes things will go bad. I'm not just talking about when you share your faith. I'm talking about life in general. Sometimes things will go away that you had not intended. You might right now have a, a crystal clear vision of what will happen in the next five years, and there's no guarantee that will happen at all. But the good thing about Jesus is that he does not hide this fact. He's very upfront about it. You know, um, you know those commercials on TV? You know, they like, they heal your toe fungus, but you can get colon cancer. You know what I'm saying? But they say, they say up front, like, they show all these pictures of your toes and how they're being healed. But on the low, you can get colon cancer. And they mumble it, and they put it at the end of the commercial, and they speed right through it. Because they want you to know the highlights, but they don't, know, they don't want you to know what could happen, the bad that could happen. I'm so glad Jesus is not that way. Jesus makes a clear picture of life. And what is life like when we follow him? David, David illustrated it in such a beautiful way. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I'll fear no evil. And when you look at that picture, what he's really saying is, is that a shepherd would be there with his sheep walking through a valley. And in that valley, there would be robbers to attack the shepherd. And there would be wolves to destroy the sheep. And so what David did not say was, Oh, yay, though I am on the mountaintop all day, the Lord is with me. No, he says God is with me in the valley. It is in the valley that the Lord is with us. Jesus says in John 16 and 33, he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Up front, good news, he tells us up front, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Not because I will remove you from trouble, but because I have overcome the world. And it is our job to follow Christ through the worst of storms because he's overcome the world. And what we have to realize is that following means that we have the presence of God, but not the absence of pain. You will experience pain. And the expectations that you have on life right now can be reorientated, reorientated within a week, within a day, or tomorrow. And so we have to wrap our minds around following God through pain. We have to wrap our minds around following God through the toughest things of life. And so these are scriptures that people don't talk about. These are the scriptures that people kind of skirt around because we want to motivate you and inspire you. And I want you to be motivated. And I want you to be inspired. But I want you to live in reality. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he brings you into reality. He says, there's a valley, y'all, okay? There's some trouble happening, okay? That's going to happen. But he prepares you for the valley. He doesn't remove you from it. And he prepares you through his presence by being there with you. That's the beauty of knowing God. Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter 10, he's getting his disciples together. And, you know, there were three types of crowds that were, you know, walking behind Jesus. There were these people that loved the miracles. They really were into the things that God did. But then there were these people that they were truly disciples. It was about 70 of them, and they were all following Christ. But you also had, within that 70, you had the 12 And these were the inner circle of Jesus, the people that followed God but also were doing things like him. And in Matthew chapter 10, one of the things that Jesus tells them is that you're about to go out and you're going to do some incredible things. You're going to go out and you're going to heal the sick. And he also says, hey, listen, you're going to raise the dead. And he tells them you're going to cleanse lepers. And he tells them all these miraculous things that will happen because we're following our Lord, but he doesn't stop there. That's good news because he describes not just the beauty of following Christ, but he follows, he he shows them the the danger, the, the craziness of following. Look, in Matthew 10 and 16, it's up on the screen. He says, behold, I'm sending you out. And this is the analogy. No shepherd would ever give an analogy like this. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. No shepherd would ever send sheep out in a bunch of wolves. Wolves eat sheep. You don't get the analogy. <laughs> wolves eat sheep. Wolves devour sheep. He says, I'm sending you out amongst wolves. And he says, this is what I want you to be. 
I want you to be as wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. And the innocence that he talks about there is that he would not want them to become like the world or to become like those wolves, to become like the things that are happening around them, remain pure and set apart. But he also says, be like serpents, wise, aware, to know that bad things are happening in this world, but to not be influenced by them. To not let yourself, let your character be described by it. So he says, be wise, be aware, be aware of the wolves, be aware of what's happening. See, this is a great expectation that we should have as we look into the world. And that we know that things will happen. And then not that we should expect the bad. We should expect his presence, praise God. But we shouldn't let the bad things take us off course to believe that God has left us. Because he gives us this expectation. He says, be aware. And then he details it. He gives us even more information in Matthew 10 and 17. He says, beware of men. This Jesus is the trip. Beware of men. This is what he says. He says, they'll deliver you to the courts. What kind of pep rally is this? Who's getting motivated? And they're going to flog you. They're going to rip your back open. They're going to be able to see your bones. They're going to try to destroy your body. And you're going to be dragged before governors. They're going to pull you along in the streets. And you'll be put to public shame. Before governors and kings for my sake. To bear witness before them and the Gentiles. It's dangerous following me. Verse 19, when they deliver you, don't be anxious. Did we read that right? You're going to, are you telling me I'm going to get flogged? Are you telling me that I am going to be dragged on the ground? And yet it almost seems incomprehensible that I wouldn't be anxious. And he says, don't be anxious how you speak or what you say. For what you are to say will be given to you in the hour. In verse 20, for it's not you who speak, but the spirit of the father, your father speaking through you. And so he is promising. He is not promising you won't get dragged on the ground. And he is not promising you won't get flogged. He is promising that I'll be there right in the midst of that pain. That is what he promises. So many people punt the faith. They lose their motivation. They, they lose their love and their passion for God because life did not work the way they thought it would. Life didn't meet their expectations. And you are not the person you thought you would be. And life is not what you thought it would be. And so God is not the God you thought he was. But he never promised you that. He never promised you that. And God does not promise problem-free, pain-free life. And anyone that promises you that is not telling you the truth of life. And we have far too much motivation and inspiration and not reality. Life is hard. Life is tough. Life will have you so confused, like, seriously, God? Seriously, again? Life will have your heart so broken. And where are we to go? And see, that's what I love about the Psalms. The Psalms don't show this problem-free, pain-free life with God. It shows David constantly yelling at God, where are you? 
but he stays right there and continues before him. So much so that he continues to follow through pain. If, any, if there's any promise, now the, the 12, they experience this to some degree. This is not promising that we're going to get flogged. It's not promising that we're going to get drugged or dragged on the ground. It's not promising that. I mean, maybe, maybe this text right now for people in the Middle East makes different sense. I mean, maybe if ISIS was one town over and they put me before the chopping block and I had to say if I believed in Christ or not, maybe this makes a different sense to me. But that's not the promise of this text. The promise is the presence of God's Spirit will be with you to testify in the worst of problems. Moses, Moses was being sent to talk to Pharaoh, the leader of the free world. And Moses says, I won't go if you are not going. But if God is for us, who can be against us? And the confidence we have is not that our circumstance will never change. The confidence we have is I will never leave you nor forsake you. It is the presence of God that makes us more passionate about God and we pursue God in the midst of all of our pain. See, the more you follow Jesus, you will have a faith that overwhelms your fears. The more you follow Jesus, you will have a faith that overwhelms your fears and that's where he is leading you. He is leading you a place of being fearless. Can you imagine if you were fearless right now? I mean, you were not afraid. You were not afraid of what life throws at you. Imagine living a life so fearless that it would seem irrational. I mean, you think of a life like with an irrational courage, that whatever gets placed before you, you know God is with you and God is in you. Have you seen people that live like that? You desire to live that way. And sometimes when we say those words like irrational courage, it just doesn't make sense because of its oxymoronic nature. But think of it this way. We know people that have irrational anxiety. Because you sit with them, you're like, it's okay. It's gonna, seriously, it's okay, man. It's gonna be okay. Sometimes I'm in, um, sometimes, you know, you'll go to a, uh, go like Chuck E. Cheese. I brought my kids to Chuck E. Cheese. My kids, first time we went to Chuck E. Cheese, they was afraid of Chuck E. Now, on surface, from their standpoint, that is a 200-pound rat welcoming you into this, their lair, right? And so you're just like, that does make sense from their standpoint. But what is it we know? What is, it, what is the knowledge that we have? We know who's on the inside. And because of who is inside them, we know that they should not be afraid. But when you live with, then that's irrational anxiety. But when you live with irrational courage, you know who's inside of you. So you know you should not be afraid of anything. You see, you can live fearless. Not because you are a seminary. I know seminary people that are just as afraid as anybody else. It's not because of the amount of knowledge you have. It's not even because of the things you've been through. Having more experiences as a Christian doesn't mean you're fearless. It means your experience doesn't mean you're fearless. In fact, you could be more afraid. He's like, God, I ain't been, this is years of this. Tired. You know, that doesn't mean anything. 
It's not knowledge. It's not experience. It is trust. And it is, it, it is, and that's why I call it irrational, because people will counsel you out of faith. I mean, you know, you shouldn't trust me. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about I don't have a job, so I'm not going to look for a job kind of faith. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about I am willing to trust God in the craziest of circumstances because he is with me. And that kind of faith God uses, and he uses it in, an, in a powerful way, irrational courage. Irrational courage is a peace when things are falling apart. An irrational courage is a willingness to fix your eyes on Jesus in spite of what's happening around you. Irrational. Mark chapter 4, 37 through 41. Um, <clears throat> this is a text I think that will be helpful for us as we sing about the Spirit leading us and we sing these songs like oceans. Um, it says, And a great windstorm arose, in verse 37. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Get this in your mind's eye. The water is filling the boat. But he, that would be Jesus, was in the stern. That would be the bottom of the boat. And what was Jesus doing? Sleep. Now, Jonah was in a boat in the stern, and there was water filling up. That same boat, same kind of boat. He was asleep, but he was asleep because he was depressed. And he wanted to get away from his problem. Jesus was asleep because he knew he was in control. And so he was asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, we know you're more powerful than the winds and the waves. Would you please go up there and take care of this? Teacher, we're aware of your power, and we know what you can do. We trust you right now in the midst of this storm. Teacher, you are bigger than this problem. Would you help us? Teacher, you don't care. You don't even care. Sleep. <laughs> Wake up, Jesus. Are you crazy? It's not raining. It's, it's, it's a storm, bro. It's a storm. And because you're asleep, you don't care for me. You don't care for me. You don't care about us. You brought us here to let us die. Teacher, don't you care we're perishing? And he woke up and didn't even have a conversation with them. Goes outside, <laughs> rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, peace be still. And when the, we when the wind ceased, there was a great calm. Now how silly do the disciples feel right now? Just three words from Jesus brought the entire situation to rest. In verse 41, and they were filled with great fear. Now, don't run past this too quick because you may think they're filled with fear because the storm, but look what it says. They were filled with great fear and said to, to one another, 
who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And you see the reason why we use this imagery of saying we have a faith that overwhelms our fears is because these men came into a realization that they reverenced God and His awesome power and they were just filled with a greater fear than of the winds and the waves. They were blown away by His majesty. Three words? You did that with three words? Who is this? Who is this God? And they were, they were fixated now on this mighty God that they served. They were so fixated on the love of God, who God was. You see, we, we have to realize that the removal of fear happens when we get fixated on Jesus. Fixated on him. Remember it says, the scriptures talk about fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, fixated on him. And so much so that we would go down to the stern and we would say to Jesus, Jesus, there is a storm that is overwhelming us all, but I trust you. What do we do? Never let us describe this moment in a way where we don't say that you shouldn't be concerned. You should be concerned when things get crazy. I get concerned about the people that don't get concerned. That's a, that's, 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 that's a detachment from reality. No, you should be concerned. You can't pay rent. You should be concerned. Those people are like, I don't know. It's like, you need to know. You need to ask questions. Those people on a different, that's not faith. That's crazy. No, I'm not talking about detaching from reality. When you are concerned, when you have like a godly concern, it leads you to a, conversated, a conversation with Jesus that's rooted in trust. But when, you just, when you're just screaming at God because he don't love you, that even though you're praying, that is still a prayer filled with fear, rooted in unbelief. You can believe, you can believe in a God, but not believe he's powerful. You just, come on, Jesus, what you do? And you, you're talking, you're doing everything that it takes to pray, but you don't trust. And the Bible says in James chapter 1 that if you lack wisdom, ask. Any man lacks wisdom, ask. But when he asks, he must not doubt. Because if he doubts, he'll be like a wave tossed to and fro in the sea. And the scripture goes on to say that man shouldn't expect anything from God. And so the scriptures are describing to us an irrational courage, an irrational courage. And the more you follow Jesus, you will have a faith that overwhelms your fears. Why? Why does God want us to live with an overwhelming faith? Why does he do this? I believe the reason why is because it honors God to live as if he is who he claims to be. And we'll do what he has promised to do in spite of what we see. Have you ever uh, defended someone's character? You know, they're, they're, they're like people are all talking and you defend them. You know, um, you get a text message from somebody and they go, forget about it. And you're like, oh, okay. Forget it. Well, forget you then. And you get mad at them because of what they put on there. 
But then there's somebody else in the room that knows them. They go, no, 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 they didn't mean it that way. No, that's not them. Give them a call. Because you're, if you just take it on face value, I, can, I see that. But, but, I, but I think you ought to just talk to them because that's not who they are. And it's awesome because when you step in and the person, one person defending them goes, yeah, they, they thought you were mad at them, but th- can you explain it? And they go, no, I didn't mean it that way. I, I would never say that. That's not what I would do. And you look at the one person, they go, you know, you really know me. You really trust me. And then the other person, you go, man, you've you got to get to know me a little bit more. You have to learn me a little bit more. And the beauty of following Christ is, is that wherever you're at right now, he's willing to pull you along and love you through wherever you are. But he wants you to increase his trust, your trust in him, so that whatever you're put in, you're defending his character. You're not questioning it. You trust him. You know he is good. And you're willing to go through storms to prove your faith, not to question your faith. And you know that your faith is being tested, and you believe, and you trust, and you love your God. And God is most honored, and he receives the most glory through our living, and with a living, active, death-defying, out-of-the-box trust, an irrational kind of courage. And walking by faith means that what you do means doing what you would do if you were confident that God was with you. And you trust him through everything. So I believe the, the first reason why is that it honors him. And it honors him to be who he says he is. But I think the other thing that it frees us to do is it frees us to love people. When you operate in deep faith, it, it frees you to love people. And as your fear decreases, the ability to love increases. 1 John 4.18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out all fear. And the Bible says, love your enemy. Well, you can't love your enemy and fear them or fear the consequences of loving them at the same time. And one of the greatest expressions of our faith is loving people that are hard to work with and hard to deal with. And that's and one of the reasons why God has put hard people around you is to prove your faith not to destroy you. And so only an extraordinary faith in God's sovereignty can do that. And and it's a testimony to everyone around you when you trust him in extraordinary ways. God is leading you to a, a faith that is overwhelming your fear and you will grow in that as you follow him as you follow him day by day. Can you imagine your life that way now? You just imagine what your life would be like if you live fearless and if you live focused on the presence of God more than the presence of problems. You just focused on him. And so <clears throat> there's a couple things I want to do in conclusion here. It is this. Um, I find that even Christians, we can, we can memorize all the verses in the world and we can hear all these great issues of faith, but we kind of get taught anxiety. You know, not concerned, but we kind of get discipled in anxiety because there's certain things we say. You know, we see breaking news on the, on the TV and we're supposed to get scared. You know, we hear people getting afraid and we kind of follow them. 
So I want to try something. This will take crowd participation. Amen? Good, good. We're already starting well. Now, I don't always do this. If you're a first-time visitor, I don't always do this. And if I did, what, deal would it, what, what difference would it make? But I want you to practice something. I want you to practice something because you have some bad habits. You have a habit of when something goes wrong, you say stuff like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what's going on. I'm going crazy, right? <laughs> Let's put that up on the screen. We're going to practice a few statements. We're going to practice our faith. Now, I know that these, this isn't a verse, praise God. But I just want these, but sometimes you don't spit verses, you spit phrases. I just want you to say something, okay? Listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. You ready? Are you ready? All right, all right. Listen, just listen, listen, listen. I'm trusting God to see me through this. I'm trusting God to see me through this. I'm trusting God to see me through this. Say that three times. Just to yourselves. Try it. Say it. Say, I'm trusting God to see me. Say it one more time. One more time. Okay, we're going to get this inside of you, okay? All right? I believe God will use this for his glory and my good. I believe God's going to use this for his glory and my good. I believe God is going to use this for his glory and my good. Try it three times. Come on. Try it out. Three times. Three times. Just keep going. Mm, will. Yeah, emphasize the will. God is in control. This took me by surprise, but not him. I'll, I'll do it two more times. God is in control. And this took me by surprise, but not him. You know, God is in control. And this took me by surprise, but not him. Try that on yourself. Try it. Try it. Come on. I know. I know it's long. Keep it going. One more time. And when you are in tears and you are frustrated, you scream that out. God is in control. And this took me by surprise. But it didn't take you by surprise. You know the boat's filling up. And some, for some of you, your boat is joblessness. And honestly, some of you, it's datelessness, Right? You're not sure where, where your relationships will lie. Some of you, it is health. Others of you, it is kids. Others of you, it is finances. Others of you, it is all different types of circumstances. But you see, God is in control. And it may take you by surprise, but not him. Now, we're about to sing. So this is the deal. Um, we are going to do something when we sing. When we sing songs... We sing them not so that we could be all in harmony. That's the praise team's job. It's their job to practice to be in harmony. It's not your job to actually sound good. Isn't that deep? We're not requesting you to sound good. What we want to do when we sing a song is for you to exercise your faith and to actually be in a conversation with God through song. So if we were to sing a song like this, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. So when you sing songs like that, 
You can sing them because you're like, I like this song. Spirit, lead me, trust. I like this best part. Oh, that's my jam. And you sing it because you're trying to sound good. But if you sing it in such a way to ignite your faith, then it's really not about how you sound. It's about getting it inside of you. And so the reason why I practice those those terms is because that's what we do when we worship. You see, to memorize a verse can be difficult, but to, to memorize, there are verses to songs, you don't even know what they mean, but they're inside of you. That's a whole nother sermon another day. <laughs> Music has an ability to get into your subconscious quicker than trying to memorize something. And I believe when the Bible says in Ephesians 5 and 18, to make a melody, be filled with the Spirit, and make melody in your heart, It's really talking about how you're meditating richly on something. And then through that meditation, you sing. You sing. It's through your meditation that you make a melody. And so what I want us to do in this last song, I don't want us to practice. This is not an opportunity to necessarily hear you. It's an opportunity for you to declare your faith before God. And wherever you are today, whether you feel like you're killing this area, then declare how you want to become deeper and richer. But if you feel like this is someplace you are, you're not even there yet. Sing with your heart. Lead me where my trust is without borders. Lead me. Let me walk on the waters wherever you would call me. And in so doing, you will have a faith that overwhelms your fear. Because if you follow God, that's where he's leading you. Let's pray.